don't care. You want it back? It's not that important. Um, he, he made it across the first time. The next time he came back with a, with a chair and a, and a table. And he, he went out there and tried to have a little, a little sit down. And um, this time he dropped the chair and he almost fell himself but caught himself. Um, the next time, he, uh, he did it several times, and there were several times that he did it with different apparatus, different things that he, that he carried over with him. One time he went over with a wheelbarrow and a, some sort of a stove in the wheelbarrow. And he went halfway across, sat down, or tied his pole off to the, to the rope, put his wheelbarrow down, and cooked himself an omelet out there in the middle of the rope. Once the omelet was made, he lowered the omelet to, what is it called, Maiden of the Mist, that boat that travels around down below. It's still, it was there when, back in 1859. It's still there now. So he lowered the omelet down so that those people down on the deck of the, the Maiden of the Mist could eat his omelet, and then he continued on. The guy was crazy. He did it with a bag over his head. He did it at night. They, they hooked up a locomotive um, light on one side and a locomotive light on the other side, and they showed it across the rope, and he crossed it uh, in the middle of the night. Uh, the guy did all kinds of absolutely insane things. So at one point, he, when he was doing it with the wheelbarrow, he made it to, to one side. The crowds were huge. He made it to the American side, and he said, how many of you believe I can do it with somebody in the yeah. wheelbarrow? And they all just said, yeah, yeah, we can, you can do it. You can do anything. You can do anything. And then he said, how many of you want to ride in the wheelbarrow as we cross? And the crowd went silent, right? Because nobody believes that much, right? Come to find out, eventually, his manager did ride across in the wheelbarrow and they made it. He went across with people on his shoulders. He did all kinds of crazy stuff. The whole concept, the whole idea, and many preachers use this illustration and say that, that we have a problem with faith because we aren't willing to jump into God's wheelbarrow. Many people say that if, if a Christian has real faith, they would get into the wheelbarrow and, and throw up their hands like the little pig. Have you seen those Geico commercials? Wee wee all the way home. You've seen those commercials? Nobody's seen those? Have you seen some of them? Okay, there's a whole bunch of them. There's, there's one where he's doing the luge down the hill. Have you seen that one? He's riding on the skateboard, laying back, and wee wee wee. And he's like, and he looks over at this guy. He comes across, past this professional, I, I, I assume it's a professional. Um, is it luge? Is that, am I saying that right? Um, he comes by a professional luge, luge rider and he looks over at him and they're kind of, the guy's giving him a funny look through his helmet and, and then the pig looks down and says, oh, watch out! And there's a bump and the guy goes flying and it's pretty hilarious. But many people say that, that we should just, it, it should be a, a wee God moment. You know, like you're on a roller coaster of life and, and we just jump on and have, have our hands in the air the whole time and just say, wee God! We're, we're going on a ride. That's the way people think that faith needs to be. I think anyone who jumps in that wheelbarrow and cries, wee, wee, is a little crazy. As churchy people, we've heard it said so often that if you have enough faith on the roller coaster of life, you will just throw up your hands in the air and say, wee, God. If that's faith... I don't think I can make it. There are some things in life that we come across that are not we God moments. We're scared to death. We come to moments in our lives when we are frightened. We doubt. We don't know if we're going to make it. I don't. Our culture has given us many definitions of what faith looks like. See if you can keep up with me on these. Write them in as we go. Cultural definitions says faith and doubt are incompatible, right? We're told that faith and doubt are incompatible. If, if you doubt, you must not have much faith. 
Secondly, faith and fear are incompatible. If you have enough faith, then you shouldn't fear. There should be no fear within you. If you have fear, then it will drive out faith. And, and, and the opposite is also true. Faith, enough faith will take away all fear. Number three, faith pleases God where doubt angers God. We read it last week. It says, it says for without faith it is impossible to please God. Right? It's there. People who have faith please God. And, and those who doubt well, they, they must make God angry. The fourth one there says, we all need more faith. Is there anyone in the room that would raise their hand and say, no, no, I, I got enough faith. I'm good. I don't think any of us would. I think we all would rather have more faith. I don't care who you are. Faith's like, faith is kind of like closet space, right? You can never have enough. How many of you have more closet space than you need? Anybody? It's kind of like faith, right? It's just, you just always need more. And number five, all of the above are hogwash. Literally, if you're taking notes and you've just written down those four or five words, those blanks, I want you to take a pen and cross them out. Yes, there are moments when we need more faith. And yes, there are moments when you know, more faith would be helpful. But those cultural definitions oftentimes get us in a bad spot. I could take any one of those verses and, and we, could, we could write a sermon on any one of those, on those, of those phrases. There's many passages of Scripture that we could go to to back up those concepts and those ideas. But when you realize that there's reality in Scripture as well. I found some passages of Scripture this week. I found some stories in God's Word this week that were very encouraging to me. Because there's times in my life when I am fearful. There are times in my life when I doubt I think God thinks it's okay. God doesn't always expect you to throw up your hands and say, We, God, I love this health situation that I'm in right now. We, God, I love the financial situation that we're going through right now. I love being broke all the time. We, God, right? The big grin on my face and throw my hands up and say, We, God, to the struggles in my relationships. So the struggles that are going on in my marriage. These cultural definitions are great, but not necessarily biblical. Last week we learned that biblical definition of faith. Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says. I don't get it. I don't understand. But God, because you said it, I'm going to to do it. That's faith. We're going to look at three biblical examples. Go with me. Study in with me as we look at these passages of Scripture. We're going to go to Mark chapter 9 to begin with. Go to Mark chapter 9 in your Bibles. Probably not going to be on the screen. We're going to read a little bit more than what I like to have on the screen. If it was on the screen, you wouldn't be able to read it unless you were standing right in front of the screen. I'm not going to go stand in front of the speaker. You're going to holler in your ears. Mark chapter 9. Let's look it up. I want to hear pages. I want to hear clicks on the iPads and the tablets and whatever you got. Look it up with me, Mark chapter 9. Before we look at it, let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you so much for being our God, for allowing us to experience the things you allow us to experience. God, I pray that as we look at what faith and how faith interacts with doubt and how it's in this life, it's okay to be fearful and, and doubt once in a while. God, help us to get an understanding based on these stories about what you feel faith really is and what faith really looks like. God, help us to gain from, from what we hear this morning. Please bless this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 9. Jesus has just been on the mountain with who? 
just been on the mountain with Elijah and Moses, right? The two action figures, the two, uh, the two action figures of the Old Testament. Elijah and Moses were up on that mountain. And Jesus had an, a, a mountaintop experience here. He went up there and God came down and talked to them. And Peter, James, and John were there. The three little Jewish boys were there. And they saw Elijah and Moses. And they heard what God said. Yeah, don't worry about Elijah and Moses. This is my son. This is the one that you should follow. This is the one that you should listen to. He had some sort of transfiguration. And I don't completely understand all the details of it. But in a sense, God was came down and was fully known in his son. He was fully human and he was fully God. And God wanted Peter, James, and John to realize this. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. They came down the mountain and look at what they run into. Verse 14, it says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Oh, great. Not this again. Teacher of the law arguing with Jesus again. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. They had just had a mountaintop experience. I'm sure Jesus had a certain amount of glow to him anyway. But coming down off of that mountain, I'm sure Jesus looked, there was probably a glow there. Right? How many of you can tell when a woman's pregnant even though you don't see any bump or don't see any, any showing? Some of you can, can't you? You can see that glow that they have in their face. Right? Jesus may have had some sort of glow. Jesus wasn't pregnant. No, I didn't say that. <clears throat> he had a glow. They recognized. They were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Verse 16. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered. Teacher. I brought my son. I brought you my son. Who is possessed by a spirit. That has robbed him. Of speech. Whenever it seizes him. It throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. And gnashes his teeth. And becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to throw out the demon, but they could not. Jesus replies, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring me the boy. Jesus comes down off the mountain on a spiritual high. Religious leaders are poking fun at the disciples because they couldn't throw out this demon. They probably tried everything. They might have laid their hands on him. They might have had a little prayer meeting. They might have, well, who knows, they probably spit in the mud and, and picked it up and put it on the boy because they'd seen Jesus do that and it worked for Jesus. Who knows what they tried. Bottom line, they couldn't do it. So they were giving the disciples a hard time. These religious leaders were poking fun at the disciples. It's pretty normal, actually. Most people don't really try to get at God. They poke fun at his kids. I love the phrase there in verse 17. It says, The man said that this spirit has robbed him of his speech. This is what sin does. It robs us. It robs us of our peace. It robs us of our joy. It's the way evil one works. He doesn't, he doesn't go after God. He goes after his kids. He uses our own selfish desires. Your own sinful nature. To rob you. He wants to steal your marriage. He wants to steal your contentment. He wants to steal your happiness. Have you ever been robbed of something that you really kind of wanted? Has it ever been taken from you? Maybe you're sitting here, I was thinking, I was thinking maybe you're sitting here thinking I was robbed of, of family. Somewhere along the line, the male figure in my home decided that, that he would rather have a different woman and left mom and the rest of the kids. We were without a dad. Satan just used someone else's selfish desires maybe to rob you of a dad. 
family dynamics had to be learned a different way. Many of us have gone through horrific tragedies because someone else made a sinful choice. Someone else made a, made a selfish choice and we were robbed. The man said, the spirit has robbed him. I think we've robbed ourselves as well. I've gotten right to the edge of that pit and and just jumped right in willingly. Jumped right in to what it is I know I shouldn't be involved in. And it's robbed me of what God wanted to bless me with. Maybe you've jumped right into addiction and substance abuse and pornography and materialism and, and whatever it is that you selfishly desire. They all have their ways of robbing us. All these things enslave us, control us. It just seems I keep going back to them over and over and over again. This phrase is so easily applied. The evil spirit has robbed him. What's Jesus saying? He says, bring me the boy. Verse 20 there, look at it with me. He says, they, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, his dad answered. It often threw him into the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. In just a couple of short phrases, we get an entire picture of what this man, his wife, his other siblings, and the boy have been going through their entire lives. How long has it been going on? It's been going on for a while. How long have you been this way? How long have you been struggling with those heartbreaking, life-destroying, joy-robbing situations? It's been going on for a while. How long has your marriage been rough? How long have you felt depressed and discouraged? How long has the evil one been poking fun at you? The gravity of this situation makes itself clear when the man says, since childhood. It's often thrown him into the fire and into the water to kill him. Think about what life would have been like for these parents living in a small town near the Sea of Galilee, a fisherman's town where life revolved around the water. How often was this happening? How often the boy's parents having to intervene to save this boy? Anytime he walked by or walked down to the water, sometimes probably the boy would run, get possessed and, and run headlong and dive right into the water. First century, they didn't have electric stoves and ovens where you could close the door. It was open fire. Three times a day preparing a meal. The open flames. Someone would always have to stand between the flames and the boy. How long has this been going on? Since childhood. Then the man says, If you can... Please help. Look at verse 23. I love the way Jesus answers. If I can, Jesus said. Ask the 12-year-old girl that I walked in with and reached out my hand and said, take some breath. And she, 
took another breath and began to live, uh, began to breathe again. Ask the crippled man that they lowered through the through the roof. Ask them. Ask the leprous person who now has clean skin that's running around the town. Ask them if I can. Everything is possible for one who believes, Jesus says. I love this next verse. One of my favorites in the whole Bible. And I've never said that before. (laughs) Verse 24 says, Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. That sounds like me. That sounds like something that's gone through my head. When Jesus says, you know what? I, be- I, I can do this for you. I can fix this problem. I can take that sin. I can take that burden and lift it right off of you. And I say, I believe. But I don't know if you can actually do it. Have you ever been there? The boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Then Jesus said, get away from me. Don't you know who I am? I'm the very son of God. I just came down off the mountain. God came down and talked to me with Elijah and Moses. Don't you know who I am? You can't have fear and doubt. You must have more faith. Go home and gather some more faith. And when you found more, come back and then I'll heal your boy. Is that how the story goes? not but that would make sense right look at verse 25 when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene he rebuked the impure spirit you deaf and mute spirit he said I command you come out of him and never enter him again The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that the many said, he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. The crowd went silent because the boy lay there motionless. He killed him. Jesus goes over and lifts up the boy to his feet. The man had doubt, but Jesus still changed his life with healing. I'm sure that when you get close to the fire, you're still going to have a tendency to jump between the flames and your boy. But you won't have to anymore. I'm sure that it'll be difficult to let the boy run ahead of you down the shoreline of Galilee. But you won't have to worry about it anymore. The evil spirit is gone. I believe, but I don't have any faith. I believe, but please, please help me with my faith. The man had doubt, and Jesus healed his boy. Let's look at another place. Go with me to Matthew. Same story, but Matthew goes into a little more details. Matthew's a tax collector. He's very in tune with the details. And he comes in and he tells more about what happened after this story took place. In Mark, let's let's finish with Mark first because I didn't read it. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 17. We're going to go a little Bible study here. Is that all right? Are you ready for that? Go with me. Matthew 17. I like looking at the different times that the different stories are told because I get a better picture of what's really going on. Uh, I start to wonder and start to let my mind go in the sometimes in the wrong place. And so these stories coming from different authors really help me. Look at what Matthew says in verse seven, or chapter 17, verse 19. 
says, Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. From this verse, we can get the idea that we need more faith, right? You have so little faith. Except what's really strange is that Jesus says, you have very little faith, but then he says, you need a very little faith. How big is a mustard seed? It's pretty small, right? I'm confused. How can a little faith and then be not good enough, and a, but a little faith is good enough? This verse is not talking about the amount of faith. It's talking about the kind of faith. The most accurate translation from the Greek is here is a little faith. Actually, the common English Bible translates it that way. It says, because you have little faith. Little being the size and kind, not its amount. It's the type we are talking about here. Not the amount. In Mark, Jesus says through prayer, right? It's connecting with God that allows things to take place. It's that connection. It's that kind of faith. God has to be involved in order for it to work. Not faith in yourself. It's faith in God that will make the difference. Matthew continues and says it's the type of faith that makes, you, makes the difference. Let me show you a few more. The disciples were scared in a situation, and it's really kind of strange that they were scared in this situation. This must have been a monumental storm. Turn a couple, a back a couple pages um, to Matthew chapter 8. Look at this one with me. This verse is one of those, one of those stories that I, I don't know. I think it probably was, um, it was probably not taught wrong. It was just, I got the wrong impression from what this story was telling, all right? It looks to me like they need more faith. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 23. He says, then he got into the boat with his disciples following him. Who are these guys? These guys lived on this Sea of Galilee, and most of them probably lived on this boat. Literally. They probably were born, well, maybe not on the boat, but pretty close. They had grown up on this boat. Peter, James, and John, and some of the others as well were fishermen. They knew this lake. They knew this boat. They weren't. What do they call them? Drylanders? They were people that liked the sea. They were people that liked the water. Verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. So that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Do you think that these boys, do you think that that was their first thought out of their mind? I don't think it was. I don't think they went to Jesus first. The first moment they were scared. The first moment that a, a wave came up over the boat. A, a storm has a tendency to build, right? It has a tendency to sort of build up. And I'm sure they did everything within their power. They'd seen storms on this lake before. Jesus is sleeping. He's a hardworking guy. Let's let him sleep. Let's do everything we can to fix this problem. Look how long they waited. What did they say? <laughs> Lord, we're going to die. They thought they were going to drown. They're, oh man, this is a bad deal. We're going to drown. We're not going to make it. We're going to die here. Jesus, wake up. I think I have a tendency to do the same thing. I have a tendency to wait until it's like I'm almost dead before I ask God for help. <laughs> I'm dead. I'm toast. This is over. We're in. This is it. Might as well say goodbye now. Oh yeah. God might be able to help. <laughs> he replied in verse 26, You of little faith, 
Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it came. It was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You of little faith. This is a kind, not an amount. When you look up this word in the Greek, the word is oligopistos. Pistos, pistia, those are the words that we find for belief and for faith and for trust in the, in, in the Greek words. Pistos and pistia. There's two different, two different ones that go in, and they're almost interchangeable throughout the scriptures. But this particular one, when this little faith is oligopistos. This oligopistos is a little faith. It's trusting a God with a small g. Who were they trusting in? They were trusting in themselves. They were trusting in this boat that they had probably purchased. They had probably worked almost their entire life to be able to own this boat. They were trusting in that boat. Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, oligopistos. It's the kind of faith. It's not the amount. It's not how big of faith they had. It's the type. It's the kind of faith. Let me show you a couple other places where this little faith, this word oligopistos, is used. And I think it will help you understand it even more. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. Familiar with this passage. Matthew 6. If, you have, if, if, if that is how God closed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of oligopistos, O you of little faith? Who are we trusting in when we worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear? Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Where are we? In Matthew chapter 14. We're back on the water, aren't we? And the boys are in the boat and Jesus comes walking on the water. And what happens? Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water with Jesus. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You, Aligapastos. Of little faith. Oh, you of little faith, he said. Not the amount, the kind. He was trusting in something other than Jesus Christ, God Almighty. Matthew chapter 16. <laughs> the boys are hungry. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asks, You of what? Oligapistos. You of little faith, he said. Why are you talking about yourselves, about having no bread? What happens when you get hungry? You get angry. You get hangry, you get hangry right? We start thinking about ourselves. We start thinking about our own selves. We start thinking about what we need. We have little faith. It's the kind of faith. And the last one here is Luke chapter 12, and verse 28. It says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith, oligopistos. The word there means little faith, the kind of faith that they had. Back to the Sea of Galilee. These guys were no wimps. They'd been there few, through a few storms. They grew up on this lake and most likely on this boat. But look at when they woke him up. It just cracks me up. It's so typical. Jesus asks, where is your faith at? What do you have faith in? It wasn't that there wasn't any. It was what they were trusting in that was wrong. I'm sure God would rather have us have no doubt, no fear. But he understands that we're human. Right? There are so many examples in the Bible where, where people of, of faith have fear and doubt. David, a man after God's own heart, struggles throughout the Psalms to find God. God, where are you? Are you listening to me? Are you hearing my cry? But then he always comes back. David always comes back and says, you are still God. And I will go 
where you tell me to go. Isaiah and Jeremiah. Man, Jeremiah is a complainer. He's, he's complaining to God constantly through the book. God, where are you? How come you're not here? You're killing us, man. If you don't like those, how about the guy in Scripture talks about, in all four Gospels he's talked about, this guy who was actually God in the flesh, but the humanity inside of him allowed him to doubt and fear God's plan. Not just once, but three times he pleaded with God for a different plan. God, if you can take this cup from me, not my will, yours. Was he ever outside of God's will? Was Jesus Christ ever outside of God's will? Even in the garden when he was doubting God's plan? No, he wasn't. God understands. He gets it. Jesus was afraid and he doubted God's plan, but he wasn't outside the will of God. Fear and doubt are a part of life. Are there any scriptures in the Bible that tell us that, that we shouldn't fear and that we shouldn't doubt? Yeah, there are. But the type of fear and the type of doubt that the Bible condemns is the kind that gets us right to the end of the diving board but doesn't allow us to jump in. It makes us put our towel back around us and back off the diving board and go back and sit in our comfy, cozy lounger. You've been there, haven't you? Some of you dads. You've been there treading water at the end of the diving board waiting for the little one to jump off the diving board. Come on, I'm right here. I got this. I can catch you. I can handle it. Jump. And they stand there and scream for... Who knows how long? Some more than others. The kind of doubt and fear that the Bible condemns is the kind of doubt and fear that gets us to the end of the diving board, but doesn't let us jump. It makes us back up and not go forward with what God wants us to do. It prevents us from doing what God has asked us to do. That's the kind of fear, and that's the kind of doubt that God doesn't like. So let's talk just for just a few seconds about how faith really works. The last couple blanks, the opposite of faith is inactivity. Not fear or doubt. It's inactivity. The opposite of faith is, is being disobedient. It's, it's not being obedient. That's the opposite of faith. Faith is more a verb than a noun. Faith is, is not belief. Faith is not, is not just trust. Faith is belief in action. It's doing something with it. That's what faith's all about. Obedience shows your faith. So when, so when you doubt, three things when you doubt. When you find yourself in a, in, at the end of the diving board, when you find yourself on the edge of a cliff and you don't know where to go, you don't know where to turn, here's what you do. Remember you don't deny it. Don't act like you got this. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Don't try to act more religious than you really are. Tell God. God, I fear. I'm having struggles here. I believe. But please help me with my own belief. Right? Secondly, step out anyway. Get off the edge of the diving board. Get off the end of that board. Get on to, with what it is that God wants you to do. What is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to obey? What's God telling you to do? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's what is God telling you to leave? Maybe it's a bad relationship. Maybe it's a bad... Maybe you're hanging out with the wrong type of people. Maybe it's a... It's a toxic situation that God wants you to leave. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, a, some kind of a, a problem that just needs to, it, you need to get rid of it. Maybe that's what God's asking you to do. Step out anyway, even when you doubt. What is God asking you to do? And lastly, get over it. 
<laughs> Sounds kind of mean, right? But seriously, don't keep feeling sorry for yourself about the way you feel, about the fear and the doubt that's inside of you. It's all right. God understands it. It's okay. It's all right to be a, a crybaby at the end of the diving board. It's okay to throw a big fit at the end of the diving board and say, God, I'm scared. I don't want to jump. If you go ahead and jump. It's all right. God knows that some of us are crybabies. But you know what? We got to get over it. We got to move on. Don't wallow in it. Don't overanalyze it. Do what God wants you to do. I'm going to sum it up this way. It's not the amount of our faith. It's the object of our faith that matters the most. The object of our faith. The vehicle of our faith. We're going to, we're going to, end, it this, we're going to, we're going to end it this way. We're out at DIA and we're at the gate. The doors of the jetliner are, are about to close. In the first row is a businessman that's taken this flight two, three times a week. He lives here in Denver or here in the Denver area, but he does business in New York. He's not willing to give up this beautiful state and so, or his family, and so he flies back and forth for business. The three and a half hour flight is really just a little more office time. He gets his laptop out and he gets his notebook out and he just gets a little bit more work done while he flies to where he's going. He's taken this flight so often he knows the pilots. He knows the co-pilots. He knows all the flight attendants by name. But also on that plane, by special permission, a couple is bringing their mother all the way to her seat. She's 82 years old and she's never flown before. She prides herself in the fact that she's never flown before. She is scared to death. She's scared to death of being in this chunk of metal and being at that altitude. But her sister is sick in New York and she has to get there quickly. They sit her down and get her strapped in and give her a kiss goodbye and try to assure her that everything will be fine. The flight attendants give her special attention. They also are trying to help her see that she's going to be okay. She's gripping that seat. She's white knuckled. Her lips are mumbling something, probably a, a prayer. She is sure that this is going to be the last thing that she ever does. As the plane taxis down the tarmac and, and hits the runway and the thrusters make the whole plane shudder. She shudders right back. The businessman has put away his laptop and now is just jotting some more notes. She, on the other hand, is tense the entire flight. Little, little beads of sweat are breaking out on her forehead. The short breaths become more and more rapid with every little bump and turbulence that the pilot cannot avoid. Each time the flight attendants check in, check in with her, she doesn't even open her eyes. She just nods her head. Who lands first? Don't they both land at the same time? How is that possible? The businessman has all the faith in the world. He has no doubt that this plane is going to get him there. He has all the faith in the world. Shouldn't he, shouldn't he get there two hours earlier than her? Isn't that fair? Isn't that right? Of course not. It makes sense, but that's not the way it is. It has nothing to do with how much faith they each have. It has everything to do with the ability of the plane and the ability of the pilots. That's it. Once they're strapped into that vehicle, it's all about the vehicle. Jesus says, all I want you to have is a mustard seed. It doesn't take much. But it's the type. It's the kind. All you have to do is step off that ramp into an almighty God. It has nothing to do with how much faith you have. 
some step, step back and look at this relationship, a relationship with God and says, I, 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 have a, I have a thousand reasons why it won't work for me. God still answers. I know. It's okay. I know you're just a crybaby. I understand. When it comes to this stuff, you just have a hard time with it. I get it. It doesn't matter. Just obey. Obey even if you don't fully believe. It's not the amount of faith. It's about who you're trusting in. It's not the amount of your faith. It's the object of your faith. For some of you today, you might be a, a, it might be a, a wee God moment. Sitting in services this morning might be just a wee God moment. You've got all your notes in place and you've got half the Bible memorized and it's all taken and it's all tidy. You're like the businessman. Guess what? It doesn't matter. You're not going to land first. We're all going to land the same. For some of you, you may be white knuckling it all the way through. The situation you're in might be scary. It might be the first time you've ever dealt with this particular situation. You may have never come across this struggle in your life. It's okay. Don't deny it. Step out anyway and then get over it. It's okay. God's okay with it. He's okay if you doubt. He's okay with the fear that you feel. Just don't let it stop you from obeying. Thank you for your attention this morning. I hope and pray that there's things that we've been able to share that can benefit your relationship with God. Church, I fear. I doubt. There are moments when I am just upset. I can't figure out what God's trying to get accomplished. I'm scared to death at times. And I'm sure you are the same way. I'm sure there are moments in your life when it's, it's scary. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how this life is going to work its way out. You don't know how this situation is going gonna, is gonna to play out. All God wants us to do is come to the end of the diving board and jump in to Him. Allow Him to take us on that ride. If we're obeying, if we're doing what it is that God wants us to do, He's going to pull us through. And guess what? We're all going to land at the same time. Whether you threw a fit and grumped and complained and whined and hollered, whether you sat back and just didn't want to do it for the longest time, but then went ahead and did it, God's going to take us. He's going to take us the rest of the way. Thank you again uh, for being here for the attention this morning. Um, once again, faith is a, is a tough subject. Um, but this has been beneficial uh, for me. I hope it was for you. Great things going on today. Bruno and Susan have an anniversary today. They've been married 35 years. Yeah. Can you believe that? That's amazing. I don't, I don't know who I'm more impressed with. Susan or Bruno? I'm pretty impressed with both, actually. Yeah, good deal. We also have a very, 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 very old lady in our midst. And um, Rick, would you mind uh, passing that off for me? All right. Gladly, actually. <laughs> We're over here. There she is. <laughs> I didn't use it at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jackie. I should have offered to, to help you come up here. <laughs> Jackie turned 40 this, this week. And, uh, so, good deal. Pass that off. Who's next? Anybody know? This is Zach, maybe? Yeah? Somebody? Anybody beat 18 months? Who? Anybody turn 40? Nobody's going to admit it. All right. 
So later on, let me know who's going to turn 40 next so we can remember it and pass it on, all right? Very good. All right, we've got great things going on this afternoon. We've got some, uh, some classes going on um, starting at 5 o'clock. We've got a, a ladies' class, a, a Bible study, a study hall, um, youth group. And this afternoon, the youth group, uh, the girls, are going to meet a little bit early. Uh, I don't know if you were told about it, Elise and Janelle, Cameron and Carol. They're going to take a young lady shopping this afternoon. Um, I got a call from an uh, uh, organization in Fort Collins that uh, has a young girl that is just lacking clothing. And so they're going to take her shopping this afternoon and go have some fun with that. So they're going to meet back here at 3 o'clock um, for that. But 5 o'clock will be our normal classes, and then also 6 o'clock um, we'll be back here for our normal classes. So anyway, what else do I need to announce? Wednesday evening back here. I'm sure there's lots of things I'm forgetting. Lots of things coming up. Um, they're in your bulletin, most of them. Most of them are accurate in your bulletin. So be reading that. All right, we'll, dis- we'll, we'll um, be standing and dismissed with prayer. And uh, we'll go to our, our adult classes and the kids also can go. I mean, kids go to classes, adults go to discussion groups, all right? Let's all be standing. We'll close the word of prayer and we'll go to discussion. And uh, kids can go to class. Dear God in heaven, we thank you so much for being our God. God, for being so patient with us when we stand at the end of the diving board and and don't want to follow through with what you want us to do. We stand there and kick and scream and we we try to do it on our own and we try to fix all the problems and fix all of our situations on our own. God, thank you for the patience that you have with us. God, most of all, thank you for taking us through those problems in life that sometimes we think we're not going to make it. God, thank you for being a trustworthy God. A God that we know we can trust and that we know we can believe in and we know we can count on. Thank you for being that God. God, help us to obey even when we don't even we don't have all the faith that we need or the kind of faith that we need. Even when we're fearful and even when we doubt. God, please help us to follow through anyway. And trust that you're going to take us through. And obey even when we don't fully understand. God, thank you for this time. And thank you for allowing us to to experience these things. And and understand these verses a little better. God, please bless the rest of our day. And bless our discussion groups. And bless the kids as they go to class. Be with the teachers. And help them to continue to pour into our kids the Bible stories that, that we're all so familiar with. God, thank you for this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.